0: Well, good morning. Welcome to New Life. My name is Nick and uh, we'll be leading worship this morning. Um, But would you just stand up with me as I welcome you guys to New Life. Would you shake the hand of someone near you and introduce yourself as we prepare to worship? of us who are online, if you guys want to just send in a chat saying, good morning, New Life family, uh, we'd love to just hear from you and hear what uh, the Lord is impressing upon your heart. And then for those of us on the patio, welcome to you as well. I hope you guys are greeting each other. Uh, as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning, I wanted just to, to speak to the obvious, right? We are living in a world where there is just a bunch of stuff going on. Um, there are wars and rumors of war. Um, we have uh, shootings and loss of life on our own soil, and there's so much tragedy, but this morning we gather nonetheless to worship a worthy God, amen, amen. And so as we, as we spend some time singing a few songs together, I think that it's just important to remind ourselves of why we're here. This is really special. Like there's not, you know, this, this specific group of people and, and how diverse our ages are and how diverse you know, our, own, our own thought processes are. There's something special about gathering on a Sunday morning and, and, and saying that Jesus, you are Lord and you are worthy of our worship and our praise, amen? Amen. And so we are worshiping a worthy God this morning. And so as we do that, let's just center our hearts on him this morning. And we wanna, we wanna pray this prayer, a prayer for the people of God as we begin worship. This prayer says, Open my eyes and I shall see. Incline my heart and I shall desire. Order my steps and I shall walk in the path of your commandments. O Lord God, be my God, and beside you let there be no other, none else, nothing else with you. Let me adore and worship you and serve you in truth of spirit, in reverence of body, in blessing of lips, in private and in public the people of God said amen amen so Lord God we worship you we exalt you in this place this is your house Lord and our bodies are your temple and so we just want to honor you with praise and worship you and you alone are worthy of our praise let's begin our time of worship together Help us to say, no, that's not true. Jesus paid it all. It was a high price and he paid the bill. Enemy, you're not welcome here. Your thoughts that you put into my head, the thoughts that you spray all over the world and that spread like a virus. They are not the truth. My king and my redeemer lives. His name is Jesus and he is seated on the throne next to his father in heaven. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to communicate love. We get to share joy and we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ today for the sake of his kingdom, God. Holy and anointed one, Jesus gonna sing that song that was written in the 1980s holy and anointed one it says Jesus Jesus risen and exalted one Jesus your name is like honey on my lips your spirit like water to my soul your word is a lamp unto my feet Jesus I love you I love you And we're just gonna repeat that there's there's a beauty to repeating those words I don't want to repeat other words other than Jesus I love you, Jesus I love you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually very beautiful and I think it pleases our Father, it pleases our Savior to hear his children repeating the song, Jesus I love you. And so whatever posture you wanna take in your seats, if you wanna be seated, if you wanna come to the altars, if you wanna raise your hands, if you wanna kneel, if you wanna lie down on the floor, I'm serious. Don't let anyone shame you. I just pray, my prayer for you, our prayer for you as a worship team this morning is that it wouldn't be about placating to who's next to you, but instead you would just get out of that zone and focus on Jesus. Whatever that Lord
1: We're all the
0: God, they're saying, Hey, enemy, you think you think that this territory is yours, you think that my generation is yours, it's not, amen. How beautiful is that? Can we just celebrate that? They're saying. We are are fixed on Jesus. We are declaring him as our Lord and Savior and as as our King. And so the girls were just like, hey, can we tag this at the end of this song? I was like, absolutely, let's tag it. But the the caveat is is that the next generation has to sing it too, all right? So you guys are the next generation. I'm the next generation too. I'm older than these guys, right? And so we're just just gonna declare that every generation in this room is just gonna declare the enemy the king. The deal we're talking about revival we're talking about revival okay and if there's going to be a revival taking place in our city it starts with us in our own hearts and so if the enemy thinks there's no revival in our own hearts. If the enemy thinks he has even an inch of territory in my spirit, in my soul, in my body, then there's no revival. So we've gotta declare, enemy, you're not welcome here. Jesus, you are. And when Jesus takes 100% of me, and when he takes 100% of you, and he takes 100% of the person sitting next to you, and if he takes 100% of this congregation, then he's gonna take 100% of this community, he's gonna take 100% of this state, he's gonna take 100% of this world. And the kingdom of God will be present and evident with every single step we take, okay? So we're just going just to declare that we were going to do it eight times, but we're going to do it until, like, we feel like we're done, okay? You guys agree? We're going to do it eight times, but that's not the case anymore. We're going to do it a lot, all right? We're going to get loud. Come on, cloud. We do this right here. Here, give me a kick.
1: The enemy.
2: God of revival you're the God who has changed each and every one of our lives this morning thank you father for never giving up on us thank you father for always having a plan to be with your creation with your children and with your people Lord this morning Lord we are here we are opening our hands we are opening our minds our hearts all of who we are Lord for you to come and fill us to shape us to be the people that you have created us to be, Lord. And then in that, Lord, we declare you are Lord everywhere we go. We want to see our city, this entire congregation, this world, Lord, call you Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much. And sometimes, Lord, I think there's not enough time to say how much we are grateful and thankful for your presence, for your beauty for your glory, and for the opportunity to gather, to sing, and to just lay ourselves before you, Lord. And so we give you this morning, we pray, Lord, that we continue to focus in on you, that not just in worship, Lord, but when your word is being preached, when we are passing the baskets, when we are the hands and feet, that we are doing it with our focus on you, and we're doing it for you. We love you, Father. And we give all of this in your son's name, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So this morning, we're going to continue our time of worship. I'm going to ask and invite the ushers to come forward, and they're going to receive our tithes and our offerings. And this is a time where we trust. We continue to declare that he is Lord. We continue to believe in his work and in his kingdom. And so we give back everything we have. As a thank you because we know we are blessed. We know we are saved because of him. And so as the baskets go around, I want to tell you of a few things. And that is, happy fall festival. Today is the day that we are doing fall fest. How many of you have participated in fall fest? Just raise your hand or yell it out. Like, Let's talk about God of Revival. Some of you are here today because you came to Fall Fest and you ended up coming to New Life Church from that experience. And so this morning I'm excited because we don't open up our campus because we just want to have a good time. We open up our campus. We ask people to come. We invite them and we want them to have an incredible time celebrating dressed up in costumes but being loved on like they haven't been loved on before. So tonight is an opportunity. Fall Fest is from 5 to 8. We need volunteers still to help pass out candy, run booths, I don't know, sit in a chair, take photos, say hi to kids, whatever, serve food. If you have time, come and help us out. You can sign up at the connection counters. If you're new this morning and you have never been here and you have no idea what I'm talking about, we have tonight from 5 to 8, we have a couple thousand people who come on our campus, and they literally come here to New Life Church maybe the first time they've ever set on a church property and they have a blast they play games they do their things they dress up in their costumes and some of us get wacky and we have a great time and we have the best sugar high there ever was and so and then we love on them with the love of Jesus right so join us either volunteer or come bring your families and be a part of that now if you're new at new life you're will be kind of like weirded out by this but we not only do fall fest but then i'm also going to now transition to merry christmas okay <laughs> we <laughs> We start our uh, Christmas market here at New Life. And so if you're new, we have a pantry here at New Life in which our intention for having a pantry, which is run like a store, people come and they're able to shop for their families. Instead of handing them a bag of food, telling them that we love them, instead we invite them in and we allow them to shop and we serve them and we love on them. And I tell you, pantry volunteers, they know every person's name. And I got to tell you, Carrie told me a story of a volunteer. She noticed a man who didn't show up last week for the pantry. And so what did she do? And and she's older than me. Got in her car and looked for him. She found him. She literally found him. And the only reason she went to look for him is to make sure he was okay. Not that he didn't shop, but she wanted to make sure that he was okay because he has some illnesses going on. So when he didn't show up, but think about it. That is why we're here. Because we want people to know that we love them and we see them. And they matter to us no matter their situation, no matter their economic status, no matter what. And so, What we do at Christmas time through the pantry is we do a Christmas market. What we do is we partner with Lucy and Mars School District and other organizations. We invite families in need and what happens is, is they get a special invitation and they go through the pantry and then they're invited to the market where we collect blankets, laundry soap, like those little pod things, and other types of household items. One of the things we've learned over the last couple years is we've given away a lot of things and we've collected a lot of things. I'm a fan of toys, but honestly, it's not really important to people when they don't have a lot. What's important to them is blankets. Every year, people tell us that they're cold. And I don't know about you guys, but I get the impression we're gonna have a wacky winter. So people are cold. And so we are collecting hand-tied blankets that you can pick up at the front office uh this week or you can pick them up at the community center where you just tie them I guess and they make a blanket so there's a video on how to do it I don't know how to do it uh there's that you can buy blankets we're taking blankets for infant all the way up to adults anything in between and then all of the laundry soap and things like that they come and we're going to give it away this Christmas and I think one of the things I love about this and I try not to get emotional is like it's incredible what you guys do It's incredible how you're willing to give and to give back and to bless families. And when you serve at the market, it's incredible to just watch the joy and hear the stories and the thankfulness of people's hearts. And we just tell them that Jesus loves them and we also love them just by being present and willing to put things in their car and be there for them. So this morning, I wanna pray for these families. I wanna pray for us that we continue to bless and we continue to do what God is calling us to do, not do things just because we can, but do things because God is calling us and moving us to move where he is moving. So will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for opportunities like worship and reading your word and some of the things that I think we take advantage of, Lord, because we check it off our list. But I am super thankful, Lord, for the moments that we get to be the hands and feet, that we get to be Jesus to our community, Lord. You are the God of revival. So I pray, Lord, that the people in our community will know you. Whether that's through receiving a blanket or food or whether that's because we actually say hi to someone we don't know or we take a risk and serve and love like you call us to do. And so, Father, I just pray over the market, the pantry, all the ministries here at New Life. I pray for all of us that we would take a step of faith, take a risk, step out like we haven't before, Lord, because we know that you are on the move. We experience you, Lord, so we want all of our community to experience you. And so I give all of us to you, Lord. And this morning, as David preaches your word, I pray, Lord, that we are so open to your spirit, to your truth, that may all the lies and the hurt and the pain and the trauma of what's going on in our lives and in this world be healed, removed, covered, or full of peace, because your Holy Spirit is present and speaking through David in reaching our hearts and our minds. We give you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.
3: Um, hey, you know what? Uh, can we just give God some praise this morning for what he is doing, for who he is? I have a, I have a confession uh, to make to you, a confession to make to you. Um, I uh, Definitely when I was younger, but even now, Um, I'm a trash talker. I talk trash. I have a hard time sometimes like holding together. When I was younger, it was really bad. I would find myself in a sporting or competitive, I'm highly competitive, and I would find myself talking smack or talking trash or trying to put, you know, do something or say something. And uh, while the maybe motive for that has changed, I had this thing about me where when I see injustice, I just have to say something about it. So, as your pastor, um, last year I was at my son's soccer game And, uh, yeah, you can see where this is going. (laughs) I was at my son's soccer game, and I'm, you know, I am usually just there to cheer and all of those things, and... I see what I believe is uh, injustice. I apologize if you're a ref here today. I know you take all kinds of abuse and things of that nature when you are on the soccer field. I don't like being sometimes one of those parents. But when I see injustice take place, I have to say something about it. So we were down in Lompoc, and I felt like it was a little bit one-sided, and everybody was kind of saying something. But for some reason, I wanted to make sure that I got heard so... it got quiet, and then I said something. And I got our coach a yellow card. And I'm like, oh, my bad. <laughs> and, Dana, and Dana looks at me and she says, Pastor David's gonna get kicked out of the game if he's not careful. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, oh no. And, and it happens, right? I, I, and then, you know, I'd like to say that I've, I've grown, But then, and I have at some level, because the other night at the A.G. football game, one of our players who who goes here, and I love this kid, one of their kids on the other team was trash-talking him. And I felt like this kid, you know, needed to, you know, maybe be put in his place. And I'm going, I, I paused. Now this, see, I've grown. I didn't say anything. But in my fleshliness, I wanted to trash talk a 16-year-old. There's something wrong with that, right? But but you have to admit there are moments where we find ourselves looking at injustice and something rears up within us, and there's a battle that we're facing or we see something that seems bigger, or like it's not right, or unfair, or it just, just doesn't make sense, and something rears up within us, and we just feel like we have to say something about it. We've got to do something about it, and yet, sometimes, when we think about what we can actually do about it, all that we're left with is trash talk. And that's not much. And it feels like something else has to happen in this particular situation. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of 1 Samuel. We've been in the Old Testament. We're going to be, I'm going to be preaching through, probably for many of us, a very familiar story. For some of us, it will be brand new. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I need to read through a significant amount of the text today. So I'm not going to have you stand because we've been worshiping, we've been standing. And uh, I'm going to read through this text. I'm going to move through it rather quickly so that you can grasp the story that's taking place and then we'll unpack it and, hear, and lean into what God is speaking to us today, all right, First Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse three, says this. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall and he wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore a bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and and as thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead him carrying a shield Goliath stood and shouted in um, a taunt across to the Israelites why are you all coming out to fight he called I am a Philistine champion but you are only the servants of Saul choose one man to come down here and fight me if he kills me then we will be your slaves but if I kill him you will be our slaves I defy the armies of Israel today send me a man who will fight me when Saul and the Israelites heard Heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Verse 24: As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? the men asked. He comes out every day to divide Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for, for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from, from paying taxes. David asked the, that might be worth it for some of us right there, right? Let's just be honest, all right? That just needs to be said. Amen. David asked the soldier, sta- I had to make sure you are still with me. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply, they said. Yes, that is the reward for killing him. Now verse 31. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I will be, I have, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If if the animal turns on me, I catch it by its jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God." The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on. "'strapped a sword over it, "'and took a step or two to see what it was like, "'for he had never worn worn such things before. "'I can't go in these,' he protested to Saul. "'I'm not used to them.' "'So David took them off again. "'He picked up five smooth stones from a stream "'and put them into his shepherd's bag. "'Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling, "'he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. "'Goliath walked out toward David.' With his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the ruddy faced boy. That means he had some type of red skin or red face or something of that nature. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you would come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give, you, uh, give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord's heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut off your head. And then I will give your, give the dead bodies of your men to the birds of, birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give, it, give you to us. As Goliath moved close Pursue to attack. David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it. To, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, in, and Goliath stumbled and fell down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. The reason I had to read that last part is because we always leave that part out in kids' ministry. so I thought it was really, you know, important to say, right? (laughs) Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, my prayer has been this week that what you have stirred in me through your spirit, you would stir in us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that's a lot of text. And again, I know that some of you are familiar with the story, and for some it's brand new. But I hope you sense the fear that was being wrestled with throughout that entire text. If I were to give you a definition for fear, it would say something like this. Fear arises, fear arises when we have uncertainty about our resources in the face of danger. Fear arises when we have uncertainty about our resources in the face of danger. Now, I wanna pause here for a moment because I think there's actually two types of fear that we need to address. There is wise fear and there is foolish fear. Wise fear is a built-in alarm system that God has knit into us to help us recognize when something is unsafe and it actually keeps us safe. So when we have a healthy sense of fear, we recognize when we're in a toxic situation. When we have a healthy sense of fear, we recognize, hey, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't just walk out onto the 101 in speeding traffic, blindfolded, and act as if somehow that makes sense. And so there's this healthy sense of fear that we have. And when I refer to that today, I want to talk about kind of the wise fear or the wisdom of fear that, that God has given us. But then there is also what I want to refer to as foolish fear. And foolish fear is how the people of God respond when they feel that they are helpless because God is either not enough or can't be trusted. Foolish fear, let me say this again, is the fear that we experience and the fear fear that we feel when we believe that God is not enough or that God cannot be trusted. And what you have happening within this text is actually both of those fears are being exposed throughout this narrative. Both of those fears are coming to the surface. Goliath, Exposed, wise and foolish fear. If you read the story and you don't have a sense of some wise fear along the way, then you're missing what is actually the the gravity of the situation that has actually taken place. Goliath is legit. He is a legit danger. He's over nine feet tall and he is a warrior, but not just any warrior. He is a champion. He has. I mean, just read the description, or or, or hopefully you you heard the description. His coat of mail was 125. Man, I'm, like, when I was, like, 18 years old, I was barely 125 pounds. Like like, like his javelin, his coat of mail, he had a a shield bearer in front of him. So before you even get to the nine-foot-tall guy, you got another warrior in front of him. There was a legit threat that was happening here there was a reason to have feelings of fear as the people of Israel and Saul kind of looked at what was going on here and he taunted them with confidence think about that for a moment it wasn't like he came out there and he was nine feet tall and awkward he was nine feet tall he was confident and he was a champion And so Saul and Israel's response that they were shaken, that they were terrified, was actually a legit response. The problem in this particular situation was not that they were afraid or that they had feelings of fear when they faced this giant. The problem is that they made fear their Lord. The problem is that they allowed fear to become so big in their sight. They allowed it to become so massive in their sight. They actually allowed it to become something that, they be, that, that took the place of who God was in their life. And when fear becomes our Lord, fear, not facts, not what we know about God, begins to dictate our direction all of a sudden we allow fear to begin to shape where we're going and who we are and what we are doing. I mean, verse 25, again, the question that's asked is, have you seen the giant? It is consuming these individuals, the size of who Goliath is and, and what he is capable of doing and, and his armor and the threat that it's not just Goliath versus The Israelite army, it's Goliath saying, bring out one person. Who's gonna be that? Who's gonna step forward? Now you would think that maybe Saul would have stepped forward. We learn in scripture, other places, that it says he was a foot foot taller than any other Israelite. So you would think that the, the biggest man around would have stepped out, but that's not what happens. Because in that moment, Saul had allowed fear to become his Lord. Bigger than who he understood God to be and so yeah the feelings of fear to a legit threat or danger that's not sin it's part of being human but allowing that fear to become Lord is where we begin to move in a trajectory away from what God wants to do and towards things that can begin to dictate our lives other than God. And so David comes along and David exposes Goliath. So if Goliath is exposing this idea of fear, David begins to expose Goliath. Goliath is exposed when David hears Goliath taunting and coming at the people of Israel and coming at Saul. He's the trash talker. He's the one who's sitting there saying, you know what? I've come out here. I not only look intimidating, but I'm going to trash talk to you till you begin to feel emotionally intimidated. And so Goliath begins to taunt not only Israel, not only Saul, but he begins to taunt uh, at some level uh, the people of God. And so David hears that, and Goliath's taunts are met with David's understanding of who God is. Think about that for a moment. Goliath's taunts were met with David's understanding of who his God is. Is David didn't hear, remember what it said in the text. David didn't hear that it was the giant versus Saul's servants. That's how the taunt was going. The taunt went something like this. I am Goliath, I am a champion, I am this, I am that. And you are just Saul's servants. That's what Goliath said, but that's not what David heard. David heard, I am Goliath. And you are the covenant people of God. That is how David understood what was going on here. He didn't see it as being Goliath versus Saul's servants. He saw Goliath versus God's people. And the reason that we know this, and it actually gets lost in the New Living Translation, but other translations, it becomes more clear. Because when David speaks back to Goliath, he doesn't, um, he, he doesn't just call him a Philistine or say that he's gonna conquer the Philistine. What he says uh, in the original text is, I I will, I will con- or my God will conquer this uncircumcised Philistine. And that portion of the text, that idea of being uncircumcised is radically important because what it does is it places the people of God against Goliath, the covenant people of God against this giant. And so no longer is it just, hey, we're servants of Saul. It is that we are the people of God. And what David knows is that Goliath is not... Um, protected underneath that covenant. Goliath is not protected by God but the Israelites are. Third thing that we see here. David reveals God's resources. There's a shift in perspective. Saul and the people of Israel, they left God out of the battle. They begin to They forget that God is a part, that he is their God, and they are his people and because they forget that all of a sudden they remove God from the battle and all that they can see is the, uh, the size of Goliath and the armor of Goliath and the taunting of the giant that's all that they can see and they aren't bringing the resources of God into this and you know what I think sometimes I know that for myself and I know that I've, you know, as I've talked to other people we do the exact same thing we leave God out of the battle here's how it happens we see this giant before us or we see something that is, that is um, a sparking fear within us and when that sparks fear within us we, the reason we fear is because we're like, we don't have the resources to go against it. I don't have the resources to go against this broken relationship. I don't have the resources to go against cancer. I don't have the resources to, to battle this thing that is in front of me. But what we do is we pray to God here, and then we leave the resources of God in our prayer room, and we go out and we try to fight the battle. And there's a separation or a gap between our time spent with God and what we hear about him and what we experience in him here and what, when we go out and we face the giant. But that's actually not what David did. David not only knew about the resources of God, but he brought those resources into the battle. If you isolate whatever you fear from reality, from the reality of God, if you isolate what you fear from the reality of God, it will bring to light your limitations in greater ways. And some of us, some of us, the reason that we fear is because it's the first time that we've gone up, some, up against something that we couldn't handle on our own. And if we can't be self-sufficient, we're actually, we actually don't know how to bring the resources of, resources of God into our situation. Self-sufficiency, as much as we talk about it, as much as we say that it's a great quality, it becomes an idol. And the moment that you encounter something that's bigger than yourself, the moment that you encounter something that you can't solve on your own through your intellect, through your desire, through your grit, through your strength, all of a sudden, you feel overwhelmed. And when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel under-resourced, do you know what we do sometimes? We go looking for other people's armor to put on. We start looking around saying, oh, man, if I just had that person's grit, if I just had that person's financial resources, if I just had that person's this, if I just had that person's that, and we start looking for somebody else's armor to put on. And again, rather than bringing God into the battle and the plethora of his resources, we start looking for other people's resources to put on. And so a question you might ask yourself today is, if you're facing something that's leaving you or putting you into a state of fear, is are you trying to wear someone else's armor? Or are you bringing God into the battle? See, we overestimate the resources of this world and we underestimate the resources of God all the time. And so we look around and we think, oh, God must not be listening, so I'll grab this and I'll grab this and I'll grab this. But what's the name? What's the name that David utilizes when he reminds himself that God is in this battle? He uses the name the host of heaven's armies. It's a military term. It's a term that reminds us that God is a God who is going to step into this battle with him. I'll come back to that in a moment. But the reason that I believe that David can state this name is because he has history with God. He has seen God step into battles before. In fact, when Goliath steps out there, he doesn't bring out Saul's resume or or Israel's resume. He doesn't put on the armor and say, and pound his chest and say, look at my armor. You got yours, I got mine. He brings out God's resume in David's life. And he starts to point to it. And he says, you know what? I've beaten the lion and I've beaten the bear, not because of my strength, but because of what God has done through me. And because I have seen God conquer the the lion through me and the bear through me, I believe that my God, who is the host of heaven's armies, will slay this uncircumcised Philistine." And this is where David's confidence begins to grow, not because he has some wishful thinking that somehow God might be able to do what he said he's going to do. He has history with God, and that history reminds him that God fights for us. God fights for us. Now, we like to focus in on the outcome, right, that's our tendency. Like some of you right now are thinking about giants in your life and maybe even people in your life. Man, I wish I could slay them with a sling. We'll stop it there. We won't go to the rest of it, right? But here's the thing. Don't be focused on the outcome. When you call on God to fight the battle for you, allow him to fight the battle how he wants to fight it we get so fixated on the outcome. We get so fixated on the fact that it might not turn out exactly like we want it to. But part of the surrender is saying, God, I believe that you are a God who fights battles, and so I am am out of resources, and I am feeling overwhelmed, and I sense my inability to do anything about this, and so God, I am calling on the one who fights battles for me, and there is a reverence that, that David has that we, that if we're not careful, we don't pick up on. There's a reverence that, that David has where he doesn't fear God, but he has a fear of God. Let me say that again. It's really important for you to understand. He doesn't fear God. He's not worried that God is gonna squash him or somehow push him to the side, but he has a fear of God, meaning he has a reverence because he understands the resources of the Lord of Heaven's armies. He understands what God is bringing to the table. He understands that that although he might be small, his God, his God is fighting his battle for him. But notice what doesn't happen. David is not a bystander in this story. I think sometimes when we think about God fighting our battle for, for us, we're like, all right, I'll be over here if you need me. One of the things we've learned throughout the entirety of the Old Testament is that when God fights for us, He brings us into He brings us into what He is doing. And so we find ourselves praying and discovering who God is and what God is doing. When you think about your life, when you think about what you're going through, when you think about the things that are happening in the circumstances around you, are you allowing God to fight that battle for you? Are you, allowing, are you bringing him into this circumstance? Are you bringing him into what is happening? Or are you simply saying, you know what? I can't do anything about it. And it doesn't seem like God wants to do anything about it either. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to picture the circumstance that you're encountering. I want you to think about whether or not you've made that circumstance Lord in your life. And I want you to begin to be reminded as you stare down that circumstance that you have a God who is faithful that you have a God who is holy, that you have a God who is righteous, that you have a God who is the strong tower, scripture says, that you have a God who is healer and restorer and savior. You have a God who is redeemer. You have a God who goes to battle for you. that soak in for a moment. You have a God who goes to battle for you. What if in your prayer time you've been so focused in on the outcome and praying for a specific outcome that you have forgotten the, the God who battles for you. I was a trash talker. One of the reasons I could be a trash talker is because I had a crew behind me and I knew they had my back. I'm not saying that's great. (laughs) What I'm saying is, you're not alone. The Lord of heaven's armies. And you as one who has been bought with the blood of Christ. You are one of his children. You are one of his covenant people. And as overwhelming as the circumstance that you face might feel, your God will battle for you. Your God will battle for you. I've asked Nick just to sing. You can sing along if you want. But I've asked Nick just to sing the song over us for just a moment. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and remind you of who He is. I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you. And so God, as we come to you today, we call on the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts, the God who fights our battles. Sometimes, God, we need we call on you because you are a healer and restorer. Sometimes we call on you because you are the forgiver. You are the one who brings salvation. But today, God, I imagine that there are people that are gathered here today that what they need is, a, is the God who fights our battles for us, who goes ahead of us, who brings his resources into a situation. And so, God, we're not praying for outcomes right now. We're praying for your presence we're praying for your presence in that situation we're praying for your presence in, the, in homes and houses and hospital rooms we're praying for your presence as people are walking up to and facing some of the biggest giants and circumstances that they have these things in jesus name amen amen would you stand with me this morning i know that for many of us as we walk out those doors we know that the battle is waiting for us outside for somehow, some reason, this feels like safe space where nothing can get to us. And then we're thinking, oh, as I walk out those doors, there's that conflict, there's that relationship, there's that diagnosis, there's that thing that's waiting for me out there. But be assured of this, that the God of heaven's armies is with you. So as you go, your eyes be fixated on him in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit amen and amen grace
1: and peace to you